Hello, welcome to another edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Monday, March the 23rd, 2020. And I hope that you are staying safe and staying indoors. Very important that everybody does that. Especially now, there are a lot of people... Well, there are some people who are disregarding that and I think they're being very selfish and very arrogant. I think that people, we now have to look out for each other. Not only for ourselves, but for each other. And we need to have compassion, care, consideration. And this is the time to do that. Let's now more than ever be considerate of each other, be respectful of each other. I wanted to talk today really about something different, although it is connected to what we're going through around the globe and it's the movies and I was thinking to myself and I actually went on Twitter and, and, and aired this when I was saying to myself well you know I bet that there are not many people watching certain kinds of movies and then I tweeted out from my Twitter page at the popcorn R-E-E-L a tweet about some movies that I've thought that people weren't watching, you know, these disaster films, the films like Soylent Green and, and Contagion and Outbreak and, and, and movies of that nature. And someone responded to me and she was saying that, um, you know, that the, there are reports of, from what she knows, of people who are actually watching them, that there's a sizable number of people who are watching them now. And I thought that that was rather interesting as well, because you would think that people would try to avoid those movies. I've seen people online saying that they've stayed away from that and they're trying to watch things that are more upbeat. And I know people personally who have sworn off watching any kind of movie, such as the ones I've just mentioned. But there are a number of people who do watch these movies. And I think I just wanted to talk in this edition about what drives that. Or I wonder what does drive that. Now, there are some films such as Night of the Living Dead, George Romero's classic film from the 1950s, I believe it was. And wow, that film said a lot about the social condition. It remains the most iconic horror film ever, I would say. It really defines a landscape of fear and terror and what we do to protect ourselves against those things. Yet it tells the story of division and tension as well as uh, 
discrimination and and the Night of the Living Dead is one of the the hallmark films I think of of not only its era but any era and it speaks so clearly to I think the things that we of course are continuing to go through and have gone through as a society for many decades and centuries and behind that is terror and fear and worry the same thing with a film like Rosemary's Baby in the 1960s Rosemary's Baby which starred Mia Farrow and um, John Cassavetes tracked these real deep fears that Mia Farrow's character had and some of that may look be looked at now as campy and gimmicky but it's actually very profoundly powerful even today Rosemary's Baby a film like Whatever Happened to Baby Jane may seem campy that was with Betty Davis and uh, Joan Crawford but that film talks about mental illness in a way it really does and the terror of how that's dealt with or not dealt with in a society that doesn't like to talk about mental illness, that doesn't like to talk about mental health. We're beginning to talk about it a bit more now in the 21st century, but talking about mental health was a huge taboo in the United States. In fact, a a huge taboo in in places around the world, well, especially uh, in parts of Europe as well, in the UK particularly, um, in Western Europe at least, and, and then here in the United States, up until really very recently, mental health was never talked about it was considered something that you just had to deal with alone and and by yourself there was a stigma attached to seeking help for mental mental illness or mental health help and any kind of help particularly when men would go and seek it from a therapist or a counselor they would be ridiculed and the nickname shrink it has been given to you know psychologists or psychiatrists, therapists, and it, it was kind of meant in a derogatory fashion. So you have those kinds of movies, and then you have movies that also deal, like Night of the Living Dead did, with these very deep, real things in the world as well. I mean, those other things are real. Mental health is very real and illness, uh, mental illness is very real and serious. And then you've got films like Get Out, Jordan Peele's film from 2017 that dealt with these, um, not only fears, but realities for black people and black men, particularly in terms of the character that's played by Daniel Kaluuya, who is going to his white girlfriend's home to be introduced. It's kind of this very reverse and perverse take on guess who's coming to dinner. Except, you know, you now have the 21st century involved in this. And lo and behold, this ain't guess who's coming to dinner. This is what a nightmare I'm living through. Uh, According to the character Chris, played by Daniel Kalia, in that film, Get Out. And lo and behold Chris is in for a whole lot more than he ever anticipated 
And that film plays a lot of really good games, not necessarily with the audience, but with the expectation of the audience. And, and I think that Get Out, which is masterfully directed, by the way, by, by Mr. Peel, brings a lot of the contemporary but long-standing issues of racism and the way that white racists behave and how racists really do penetrate and attack black people literally and figuratively. Um, I mean, it's a powerful movie. And the fears are not gimmicky. This is not like a film that would be a gimmick or campy. I mean, to a degree, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane was a campy movie and still very terrifying and also deals with some real-world things to a degree, you know, the mental health and the idea of terror and being absolutely um, held spellbound by it and what terror can do. Um, and there is a seriousness to that film, but there's a comedicness and, and craziness to that film that can only be described as comedy. Um but then you've got a film like Get Out that that throws real-world situations right at your face and in your face and deals with the pervasive thinking amongst a lot of people who would call themselves quote-unquote liberal or progressive, you know? Some of the, uh, you know, quite a sizable amount of of white people who call themselves liberal and say things like the characters in Get Out do, like the white characters do there, without thinking that it might actually be racist and patronizing as well in a very racist way. Or racist in a very patronizing way. I mean, so Get Out was a film that brought these fears and... Those films are watchable, even though they are terrifying. And then you've got films that then become... Well, I would say also I would add a film like Queen and Slim to that conversation with Get Out. I think you can dovetail those two films together. uh, How a black couple, a black female and a black male couple... literally are facing racial terror and the dilemma of what one move does to alleviate this kind of terror and that all these two people want to do is love each other in peace without being completely violated in many ways. And they have to protect themselves with love, but also protect themselves um, against physical harm and I think Queen and Slim which came out in 2019 near the end of that year is a film that needs to be seen by a lot of people it was written by Lena Waithe directed by Melina Matsukas and stars Daniel Kaluuya interestingly enough um, playing the role of Slim and Jodie Turner-Smith um, plays Queen 
and both of them are from the UK, I, I thought that this was a powerhouse of acting. And there are other fine people in that movie too who make it work and it takes all kinds of interesting twists and turns. So I would bracket Queen and Slim with Get Out. And then a film like Clemency, which deals with issues of the death penalty, Chinyoe Chuka, Chuku's film, that stars Alfred Woodard, I think the best performance of last year, 2019. She was superb in that film. And that deals with some very real issues, real world issues. And then you've got films like Boys Don't Cry, directed by Kimberly Pierce. That was a film that Hilary Swank won her first Academy Award in. And that film also had Chloe Sevigny in it. Um, that film was very powerful, dealing with um, the, the, the concerns and the hopes and dreams and the nightmares that people in the LGBTQ community experience. And it's also about love. That film is about love and how love has to survive amidst this hatred and violence that is perpetuated and perpetrated against people in the LGBTQ community and the kinds of things that people who love people have to do. And if you put it that way, instead of people who love people of the same gender have to do, I think it's even more profound. I really think it is. Then there's movies like Philadelphia that deal with the HIV AIDS pandemic and how Tom Hanks as a gay man has to confront the prejudices and the fears of all of those around him, including his attorney, played by Denzel Washington. And the two of them have to do this dance. It's very interesting. I look at a film like Philadelphia, which was directed by the late, great Jonathan Demme. I look at that film as a... Again, I, I before I bracketed together Get Out and Boys Don't Cry... But in a way, I look at Philadelphia as a film that should be bracketed with a film like, not Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, but In the Heat of the Night, Sidney Poitier, who is in both those movies, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and In the Heat of the Night, the latter of which was directed by Norman Jewison. And Philadelphia, I think, is connected in a really interesting way. Obviously, the subject matter is different. The city is not. Um, although In the Heat of the Night took place in um, Sparta, I guess it's the fi either the fictional town or the real town, Sparta, Mississippi. Um, Virgil Tibbs, who's played by Sidney Poitier, is a detective from Philadelphia who comes, uh, he's actually the, from the FBI in Philadelphia, and he comes down to Sparta to try to solve this case um, that's going on down there in Mississippi, in Sparta. So what's interesting is, is that Denzel Washington and Sidney Poitier are good friends and uh, Denzel's always looked up to Sidney Poitier and they, of course, had this moment at the Oscars in 2002 
where Sydney was being honored for a Lifetime Achievement Award and Denzel Washington happened to um, win the Oscar the same night and Denzel talks about that when he gave his speech and he's always chasing Sydney. But I, I think that what I'm trying to get to before I get to the main points that I want to make is that Philadelphia as a film is bracketed because, you know, Denzel plays this attorney who's coming in, different background, uh, a straight man versus, you know, he's a straight man coming in and he's trying to look at this world that this gay man lives in, not because he's gay, really. Um, Well, it, it is it is a different world since the Tom Hanks character is gay because of the discrimination and the homophobia that he endures, that he has to go through and experience at the hands of very ignorant, hateful heterosexuals who project their own sense of fear and hatred onto the Tom Hanks character. And so does the Denzel Washington character. He does that. And then their adversaries initially, just like the adversaries initially in guess in, in, in the heat of the night, Rod Steiger's character as the police chief down there in Sparta and the Virgil Tibbs character played by Sidney Poitier. There's this tension and adversarial nature uh, thing between them. And the same thing happens with Philadelphia until the two characters begin to navigate an understanding and then an identification one with the other and and that's a theme that runs through lots of films obviously it's not just unique to these two but I think that those two films also deal with fear um, in, a soci- in societies that still exist where there still is obviously um, structural, institutional and social racism all over the place and policies that continue to attack black people in the United States and everywhere else. And Philadelphia still explores things that are still very much with us. Hatred of gay people, hatred of, of people who are queer, hatred of transgendered individuals, people, of course, there have been lots of killings of transgender people. So these are realities. And then there are these films, you know, that, that go through, that deal with these things. And One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest deals with mental health as well. The taboos around that, Milos Forman's film from the 1970s, I guess it was 1973 or thereabouts, that dealing with these really um, taboo things, talking about mental illness earlier. But these films I'm about to talk about, again, that I mentioned earlier that deal with fear and not just fear, but fear now that we're living in the time of this coronavirus and we are indoors, we are self-isolating. We are doing that, especially if we have symptoms of this horrible virus that has, you know, laid waste. And so what do you do when you're watching movies? Speaking to the issue of these films that are so not just, they aren't really fear exploiters. They are 
fear translators, fear expresses. The idea that these films that I'm about to talk about embody these notions of fear, and yet we watch them at a time of fear. And, and why do we do that? The China Syndrome, directed by Jeff Bridges, Soylent Green, directed by Richard Fleischer, Blindness, directed by Fernando Mireles, Contagion, directed by Steven Soderbergh, Outbreak, directed by Wolfgang Peterson, Safe, directed by Todd Haynes. And there are others, other films that are out there, directed by men and women that I have not mentioned. And I've mentioned a few uh, female directors here today, at least three of them, who directed films that deal with some really real-world subjects. And also, and I've got to mention Kelly Reichardt. Kelly Reichardt, who directed, who has directed uh, a lot of good films, and also one dealing with isolation called Wendy and Lucy. Wendy is played by Michelle Williams. Lucy is the dog, her companion. And she resides in the Pacific Northwest. I think she's essentially homeless. And that speaks to an issue that's going on, the homeless population in this time. And that film touches on a lot of things of that nature, of isolation, of finding oneself, living on the margins, living between the margins, living without an identity when you're not part of the workforce, when you are out sick, when you are without a home, when you are without food. And people watch these films, people watch The China Syndrome and Soylent Green and Blindness and Contagion and Outbreak and Safe. And I thought that they didn't. I thought that most people avoided these films and I still believe that they do. But there are people that really do watch these movies and I do wonder why they watch them. I do wonder why they watch them. And I think... Maybe it's to get in touch with your fear. Maybe it's a, it's a way to be in touch with your fears. You're indoors and you can't leave your home. And there are movies about that too. When you are completely inside your home. I mean, I, I can think of a number of them off the top of my head. Um, one of them is called Panic Room directed by David Fincher. But that is a film that deals more with the standard movie things that you experience in the movie when you have characters who are boxed in and trapped. But these are films that I'm talking about, particularly these last few that I've mentioned, The China Syndrome and Soylent Green and Contagion, particularly Contagion and Outbreak and, and those kinds of movies, and, these, and Blindness too, which doesn't get talked about as much, and I think that's arguably the most terrifying one on this list. But these movies deal with something that's going on right now for the entire planet, dealing with virus, disease, desperation, coveting. And in a lot of these films, you'll notice there's a profound lack of leadership. And that is also the terrifying thing. Of the films 
I mean, the leadership is there, but in a couple of those films that I've mentioned, there doesn't seem to be any real leadership, or if there is, it's all over the place. And of course, if you're in the United States of America right now, that is something that you're experiencing, and that's part of your fear as well. That's part of the terror, that you've got somebody who doesn't lead and then doubles down on that failure of leadership with fear. He doubles down on it. And people are afraid of him to begin with. A lot of people, especially those who have been caged along the southern border in concentration camps, especially those who he has targeted repeatedly with his misogyny and his racism and his anti-Muslim fervor. So that creates a whole nother dynamic that's very powerful. And why do people watch these movies? Again, I just think that there is this fear and I really would like to explore this and get people on to talk about this as well sometime in the future and revisit this The Politocrat is brought to you by the great people at Anchor. Anchor is such a great place to go if you want to get started in podcasting. And it's easy and it's free. Anchor. Marvelous stuff. Marvelous. And I'm so grateful to the folks at Anchor for getting me going with The Politocrat. If you want to get going and be heard on Apple, on Spotify and everywhere podcasts can be. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I have a correction to make. I made a mistake in erroneously saying (laughs) that Jeff Bridges directed The China Syndrome. (laughs) Jeff Bridges, as you know, is an actor and has been for um, quite a number of years now. He's given some great performances, but he did not direct The China Syndrome. James Bridges directed The China Syndrome. I think it's something that is worth talking about some more because as we are isolated at the moment, as we are isolated for the foreseeable future from each other, um, how are we going to respond to it? And we can take walks and that's very important to do. But when we're in our homes for the vast majority of a day, And when we are trying to make sense of what we are going through, do these movies help us do that? Is my question. And if they do, is there something that we are learning from watching these movies again now in this climate? Is there something instructive for us? Or do those movies only serve to re-traumatize us? in this moment, at this time. 
Or do we become somehow less fearful? Because we are watching these movies at this time. Does that help us steal? S-T-E-E-L? Steal us up? And steal us up against fear? Is that why we watch them? Is that the mechanism? Is it a defense mechanism that we kind of fortify ourselves against the fears that we have, that are real-world fears about this virus by watching a fictional movie about viruses like contagion, like outbreak? Those two in particular deal with that. But there's also the virus of selfishness. And I hate to use that word in the context of selfishness, but that is true. There is, that goes on too. As I've talked about, the social distancing that gets ignored that will probably ultimately lead to shutting down the United States, shutting down the UK. And then there's more fear around that, isn't there? And then governments can become repressive. So this is very heavy stuff. (laughs) And I don't want to go down that heavy road necessarily in this edition. But where these movies are concerned, is it a way to kind of make us feel a little bit more comfortable with what's going on? Is that why we watch a film like Contagion that Steven Soderbergh directed? Is that why we watch a film like Outbreak? Because it's a way for us to face our fears. Maybe that's what's going on here. With a film like Safe, for example. Where Julianne Moore is an agoraphobiac. She is an agoraphobe. She will not go out of her home. She will not leave her home. She is in fear of any open spaces at all. That's what an agoraphobe is. Of open space. Of being out in the world. So she confines herself into her home. And things go on from there. I'm not going to give anything away. If you haven't seen the movie. It's Todd Haynes' movie. I think it's his first film. I think it was one of his first films. He did a film called Poison as well. And I forget the order. I think Poison came out first. And then the film Safe did. Was maybe his second film or his third film. I forget. Uh, But I think Poison was definitely his first. Todd Haynes, by the way, is a really good person. I've interviewed him on one or two occasions in the past and he's um, done a lot of different things including Far From Heaven which dealt with a whole another sense of fear in white communities of someone who's black and who someone like Dennis Haysbert who is the character who plays a character in that film with again Julianne Moore I mean this is kind of a six degrees of Julianne Moore because uh, she's in Blindness as well that film Blindness that I've talked about here today and, and you know it's very interesting you know in, in Far From Heaven um, set in the 1950s or even in the 1980s it's a kind of the it's a homage to Douglas Sirk who did a film called All That Heaven Allows with Rod, Rock Hudson uh, and Jane Wyman um, and that dealt with class and love uh, uh, across class lines and this is love Uh, in Far From Heaven, love along racial lines between Julianne Moore and Dennis Haysbert. Julianne Moore is a a white woman in in a well-to-do Connecticut 
society, very cloistered, um, very patrician, provincial society, uh, the community, and then Dennis Haysbert's character who comes um, from Connecticut, but in a, a poor part of the of of the state or not far away, I guess. And obviously, there's this love story that develops there from in Far From Heaven. But in Safe, Julianne Moore, who does a really good job in that film, um, she is ultimately OCD, just completely obsessive compulsive. Like we all are right now. <laughs> I, I, I hope we are. I mean, we all now are doing things that either some of us, many of us didn't do before or that some of us have done before, like I have to a, a, a quite a degree not quite as much as I do now, but are now doing it exponentially. Literally wiping down everything, <laughs> uh, or almost, you know, door handles at home, uh, door handles outside if you're going out and you have to open a door, or at least have gloves on. You don't wipe down door handles outside, um, you know, on the streets. But I mean, if, if you have to uh, go into a convenience store, and those are still open here in the U.S., and, uh, you know... Um, they are not in Italy. They are not in Spain, to the best of my knowledge. In Spain, they're not either. Um, but they are still open here in the U.S. So that when you go to a convenience store, you have gloves on, like I do. I put gloves on. Whether they're leather gloves, whether they're latex, whether they are vinyl gloves, I put them on and then throw those latex or vinyl gloves away. If it's leather gloves, then I come home and wash them and, and, and uh, you know, put, wipe them down, with, wipe them with, with uh, wipes. I mean, that is what we have to do these days. And in this movie, Safe, that came out in the 90s, I believe it was 1991, 92, 94, somewhere in that time period, Julianne Moore is constantly doing things like this. And it, to the point of paranoiac, it's, I mean, I'm not giving anything away, but people are watching these kinds of movies. They're watching a film like Threads, which deals with nuclear disaster. Threads is a UK movie that came out in the 1980s. Terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. It's probably one of the most terrifying films I've ever seen. And that played out on television in the UK in the 1980s. It's a, even today, and I think it's on YouTube that you can watch it if you dare in these times, is an absolutely terrifying and disturbing film. Threads is one of the most disturbing films I have ever seen. And then there's a film called The Day After, which also was a, a, tele, was a television film that here from the United States. I think Jason Robards might have been in it as well at one point, and was in it, called The Day After, dealing with the same subject matter. But it, it's powerful, but not nearly as powerful as Threads. Threads is T-H-R-E-A-D-S, is a really powerful movie. And people are watching these films now. And like I say, I think it's a way of them insulating themselves uh, and trying to manage and cope with the fears that they currently have around this virus and around the disconnection that it has caused because of how pervasive it is. And I think that that's why, one of the reasons principally why people are watching these films to inoculate themselves from their own fears to... I kind of say get ahead of their own fears or even to preempt them by blocking. 
I would call it fear blockers, blocking your own fears about what's happening presently with fears expressed in movies about things that aren't necessarily happening presently in the movie sense, but are happening in reality, if you understand what I'm trying to say. Um, I hope I made that clear. But those movies like Blindness, which deals with a pandemic of people going blind. And if you really want to scare yourself, you can read the book that it is based on. Jose Saramago's book, which won the Pulitzer Prize, if I'm not mistaken, um, is an absolutely terrifying read. To read that book is to give you nightmares because it is really terrifying. Um, that's a terrifying book. And Fernando Mireles, who directed Blindness, who also directed City of God, Suidad Dia, um, is, does a really good job with the film. And Julianne Moore, as I mentioned, who's in these other two films I've mentioned, Far From Heaven and Safe, uh, is in Blindness. She is also uh, joined by Danny Glover and by Mark Ruffalo, among others. And the film is a decay. I mean, it's a decay of the social order. And that, to me, is more terrifying than any virus. Obviously, the virus is terrifying. But this, the idea, and this is a fear I expressed when I did an edition of The Politocrat on fear and what fear is to you in this year of 2020, in this 2020 year, you know. What is fear to you? Uh, and, 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 and what is it that you're most afraid of? And, and one of the things I pointed out uh, for my personal sense is the fear of social decay and disorder and how people are going to react to this virus. And already I'm seeing it. People, most people are just have been terrific. I don't want to discount that and have been really generous and compassionate and kind and have smiles on their faces amidst such fear and terror that we're going through. But then there's that small group of people who are completely disregarding the social distancing and everything else. And and some people who are fighting each other, some people who are attacking Asian Asian people. You've got racists in, in the United States attacking Chinese people and other Asian people violently, spitting on them. Attacking them physically and spitting on them is a physical attack too, by the way. But this is happening obviously because the, there are racist people in this country who do this and in other countries. And also because there's a lack of leadership and also because the so-called leader or lead, one of the leaders, I'm not going to you know, call out the person's name, you know who I'm talking about is actually repeating the rhetoric that leads to these racist attacks, these attacks on the Chinese, on other Asian individuals. That is what the person is doing. That person is saying racist things about this virus. And if that virus had started, say, in the United States, as Spanish flu in fact did, and it's not called the American flu, it's called Spanish flu. Even though it originated, the first cases came from the US during the First World War. 
But let that not stop anybody. But in this case, if this virus had begun in the US, I guarantee you that this guy would not be calling it the American flu. If it began in Mar-a-Lago, he would not be calling it the Mar-a-Lago virus or the American virus or the, well, you know where I'm going with that. You get my drift. And that's what my concern is about the social order breaking down and blindness as a movie really gets underneath that in really powerful ways but the book is devastating for those of you who do like to face your fears like this and do like to watch these kinds of movies in the midst of such fear and real world crises and pandemics like the one that we are going through and experiencing right now, then these are the films to watch. These are my recommendations. (laughs) You know, um, some of these films are probably on Netflix at the moment or on other streaming platforms. Some of these films may be on YouTube as one of these streaming platforms platforms in a way it is a streaming platform videos um, it certainly is a streaming platform you can find some of these I think in full on YouTube if you don't want to pay for Netflix or don't have a subscription or can't afford one and there's again I don't want to name the other streaming platforms you know which ones they are I named two of them because I know that two of them are very good especially Netflix but those are, and there's others. These are just a few of the movies. There's a film like Us, also directed by Jordan Peele, which, which tackles this a similar idea of how people respond in, in, in crisis. In, you know, and, and Us just came out a year ago. I mean, literally a year ago. March the 22nd, I believe, 2019. This is March 23rd, 2020. I mean, it literally came out a year and a day ago, right around this exact time. And that film had terror written all over it. It was deeply terrifying. And it dealt with the American condition and American society and how Americans respond to crises and to uh, disaster and fear. And there's so many other movies, Twister and all of these other ones that have come out all over the years and way back that deal with terrors, you know, that deal with things, you know. It's funny, Reefer Madness from way back It seems comical now, but this is how people thought about drugs. You know, about doing pot. And it's it's incredible. There's PSAs on on this. And it was so comical back then in the 50s. And, and, you know, that era and, and before that, you know, there's this profound fear of these kinds of things. Um, Born out of a, a very conservative 1950s era in the United States. And then that was followed up by this backlash in the 1960s. So all of this is to say that since you are indoors and if you don't want to read a book, although books are terrific too, if you can't practice mindfulness, and I really recommend that you do practice practice mindfulness, and I've talked about that 
in a prior edition of The Politocrat. But if you if you are fed up of the television, and really I would avoid watching the, the corporate news media now and just stick with local news to the extent that you can, or, or watch the, the briefings, as I've talked about before, of your local leaders, of, of the governor in your state here in the United States, wherever you might be, whichever state you're in. Play music. I, I think that's a great thing. Music is, is fantastic. And I've talked about Dean Ice doing what he did um, over the weekend with his club quarantine. And I think he's going to continue doing that um, throughout this week and definitely um, over the weekend. I'm sure he will. Um, but, it, you know, but if you love movies like I do, and I love movies, um, and you've got a collection of movies, or even if you don't have a, a big collection, and you have um, a television set, a laptop, an iPad, a phone, whatever, and you watch, watch some of these movies, I recommend them. I actually do recommend these movies. All six of those movies, The China Syndrome, which deals with the nuclear crisis as well, dealt with, you know, dealt with Three Mile Island, essentially, with Michael Douglas, Jane Fonda, Jack Lemmon. And then Salt Soylent Green. In fact, China Syndrome actually, I think, came out either a few weeks before or a few weeks after Three Mile Island. And I forget which it was. I think it actually came out before Three Mile Island. You know, like a year or so or a few weeks before or a few years before. It actually came out. It wasn't even based on Three Mile Island. I think it came out before. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just doing this from memory. From 1976 or 1979 or 80. So excuse me if I get, if I get that wrong. And I haven't seen the movie since then. So so pardon me. I apologize if I get it wrong. If I got that wrong. But the point is, is it deals with these very world thing, real world things that were going on at the time, and have of course gone on since. So the China Syndrome, Soylent Green directed by Richard Fleischer, Blindness, which I've talked about a lot today, Contagion, of course, which is the one that people really are afraid of and a lot of people are not watching, Outbreak, directed by Wolfgang Peterson, stars Rene Russo, uh, Dustin Hoffman, Cuba Gooding Jr., Morgan Freeman, and a film like Safe, starring Julianne Moore. Wow. If you have to watch movies that make you afraid or that reinforce fears these are definitely six of the ones to watch plus some of the other movies that i have talked about today um and i think again people i think want to connect with their fear and and really face their fear in watching these movies at this time and they want to be uncomfortable i think some of the people who do this want to be uncomfortable on their own terms it's bad enough you've got this pandemic around you I think the mindset for some of those people who watch those films right now is let me control my fear in this manner let me at least deal with my fear if I can't go out into the world let me at least control the world that I have around me if I'm fortunate enough to be inside a home if I have a home if I have a roof over my head and I can at least do this in this grim time let me force myself to control the fear that I do have of what's going on outside around me. And let me put this movie on to remind myself that this is real and here's the safe space for me to live in. And I choose to immerse myself perhaps in this. Maybe that's what's going on for some. 
people. Is that going on for you? I'm going to probably soon have a poll up on Twitter at the popcorn R-E-E-L. And I recommend uh, if you can, please participate in the poll. And I'm going to be asking a question about this related to movies. So um, I'll do a poll and maybe there's some discussion that can be had. And hopefully in the near future, in the future, um, actually have some people on the politocrat to talk about this. I do talk about things other than politics, even though I am the politocrat. And I hope you've enjoyed or contemplated, should I say, (laughs) this edition. I'm Omar Moore. Thank you very much for listening.